Welcome in to the Corner Three. Taking you around the arc of college basketball. From the NAAC to the Pac-12, the WCC to the SWAC. We cover it all now on 93.7 The Ticket. Here is your host, Austin Orman. That's right, back in the saddle again. Thanks for everyone who turned in to On the Block from 2 to 4 and Old School from 4 to 6. Been a good first day back on uh, the job, really, uh, since I got back from vacation. My wife and I spent a fantastic week down in uh, Oklahoma and Texas, made a trip down south. So that's why we had no TC3 last Monday, but we are here wrapping up July on a very positive note with uh, another installment of The Corner 3. Coming up after me from 8 to, I believe, 10, Harrison said, we've got Heart of a Husker with Vershawn Jackson, always a, a riot of good times, so make sure you stick around uh, for Heart of a Husker again uh, starting at 8 o'clock. But for the next hour, I will be uh, helping take you through some of the biggest college basketball news, including Nebraska men's basketball's trip to Spain, uh, some of the best, most recent wins in Nebraska basketball history, painful losses, and we'll do that for uh, the other teams as well because I will be joined shortly by the fellas, by the homies Matt and Landon uh, hopping back on stream as I always appreciate them doing. But the first order of business before the uh, the favorite wins and the painful losses and before the Nebraska ball trip to Spain update, we go to Florida, specifically Miami, where the biggest booster, maybe the most well-known booster uh, to Miami, this side of Nevin Shapiro, might be in a lot of trouble. The name you might know, John Ruiz. Uh, he is... A, a big wig with Life Wallet. That's his company. And Life Wallet has been a massive, massive player in the NIL marketplace for Miami Athletics, not just the men's basketball team, um, the football team involved in that, the women's basketball team as well. So, John Ruiz, the, this booster with Life Wallet, his company is under investigation by the United States Securities and Exchange Commission. That's right, under investigation from one SEC, not uh, the one you might think. Maybe if Miami was better, the actual SEC would, you know, investigate their membership a little more closely. But no knock against Miami, I guess. Uh, but the the federal SEC is uh, looking into whether Life Wallet was really upfront with their investors about the actual value of the company. Um, and some potential security violations as well. So that's something to monitor because, number one, it's Miami, right? It's Miami. They've been down this road before with uh, Nevin Shapiro and the yacht. Uh, they've been down that road with uh, Jaden Rashada. <laughs> Everything that went down with his recruitment, uh, the quarterback, the four-star, who ends up at Arizona State by way of Miami, by way of Florida, despite never you know playing a snap for them. But John Ruiz being in the news is an issue for Miami because he reported that he distributed more than $10 million in NIL deals to Hurricanes athletes. That's right. $10 million to Miami athletes just from this one company, LifeWallet. The, the most well-known deal, of course, with Miami athletics is Nigel Pack. He was a guard that Nebraska saw at Kansas State. Solid player, good piece. Uh, announces his transfer out of the Little Apple, and he ends up at Miami. Uh, he got a two-year NIL deal, reportedly. Uh, it was worth $800,000 and a car. 
I mean, $800,000, almost, you know, a tenth of what John Ruiz says he's handed out went to one guy in Nigel Pack. And to his credit, it pretty much worked out. The last couple of years for Miami, so the 21-22 season, the first one after the NIL legislation was signed, Miami goes 26-11, and overall 14-6 and in ACC play. Um, they get a 10 seed in the NCAA tournament, but make a run to the Elite Eight. Nigel Pack... Um, then in 2022-23, Miami wins 29 games. They go 29-8. and eight. They go 15-5 and five in conference play, and they make it to the Final Four. They take a step forward uh, from a couple seasons ago. The only reason those two runs are interesting is because the previous three years, Miami basketball 10-17, and 15-16, and 15-16, and 14-18. And I'm not saying NIL had everything to do with Miami being good, making the runs they did. Jim Laranega is a really good coach. I mean, he's been in Coral Gables. His first season there would have been the 2011-12 season. The very next year, he takes them to the Elite Eight, out of the tournament for a couple of years, but above 500, uh, gets another Elite Eight, and then two first-round losses. Um, Jim Laranega is a good coach. He's done good stuff wherever he's been. But John Ruiz's impact on that program and helping him you know, attract transfers, especially to the caliber of Nigel Pack, that's huge. Like You can't say the money doesn't play a role. And if we flip over to the women's basketball side of the story, more of the same. We talked about this uh, not overly long ago, but part of the deal with the women's program was the Cavender Twins, uh, who transfer in. They, very famous on, on social media, um, TikTok, I think, is their their big platform. But the deals with the the Cavender twins, Haley and Hannah, uh, the NCAA actually recently ruled against them, saying they were impermissible deals. There were pictures taken at what I think we decided was John Ruiz's house. He tweeted out a picture uh, with the two girls there, kind of as a, what are you going to do about it, right? NIL is legal now. But that crossed the line. Um, because that was more of an inducement. The Cavender Twins, I don't believe, had committed to Miami at the time. So that's where you get into more of your you know, typical kind of pay-for-play scandal. So the deals ruled impermissible. And uh, Katie Meyer, the head coach for Miami, did have to sit out three games due to that ruling. So obviously that's a huge deal on the basketball side uh, with, with players the caliber of Pack and the Cavender Twins. Um, but there are some football players with deals as well. Tyler Van Dyke, who took a huge step backwards uh, from two seasons ago to last season, not the season he was looking for. You know, projected mid-round NFL draft pick. He's really got to climb his way up the draft boards again. Uh, Cam Kinchins, also, he plays safety for the football team. So with John Ruiz being under investigation, I don't want to say that that's the end of Miami basketball. In fact, I, I think Miami's going to be really good for you know years to come. I, like I said, Jim Laranega is a really good coach. They've got a lot of pieces there. I know they do lose Isaiah Wong, uh, but Omir's back. Jordan Miller gone as well. He's a guy that I was a big fan of, uh, as much as you can be, I guess, as a, a Nebraska-Duke combo uh, rooter in terms of a Miami player. But Jordan Miller at 6'7 on the wing, uh, his ability to shoot it, drive it, defend it at a high enough level. That's a guy I think can can stick at the NBA level if he continues to shoot it there. But again, Jim Laranega's a good coach. I don't think Miami's going anywhere because they've been good at different points under him, right? They were good early. They've been good kind of in the middle of his tenure and then before that dip a few years ago. And since that dip, all they've done is made an Elite Eight and a Final Four. So I don't think Miami is going anywhere, 
But I do think that if the, the money dries up a little bit, it might be harder for Jim Laranjega to recruit down to Coral Gables. The ACC not being as strong, I think it's lost a little bit of luster as well. So that's working against him. So ultimately, this comes down to, to Jim Laranjega and his ability to really recruit, right? Not, not induce, not force NIL deals uh, to get the job done for him, but to actually you know put boots on the ground, recruit guys there, and then also to coach, right? Miami's played a, a different style. They've done a lot of four out, uh, sometimes even five out with O'Meara at the five. They have stretch bigs, and that's a style that I wouldn't be shocked to see Nebraska play more of this year, um, especially if Blaze Cada is out of the game. And we'll get to more Nebraska ball later in the show. But if you want my opinion on what Nebraska basketball could or even should to some degree look like, I would tell you to go watch Miami film. They play guards, a lot of them at the same time. They drive and kick a lot, and they have enough size on the wings, enough dedication from their wing groups to rebound at a high enough level to get away with making the math work in their favor. That's what Miami does, right? The drive and kick results in a lot of open threes. It's a lot of quick guards, a lot of ball movement, and they knock down their open ones, something Nebraska's really struggled with. Really, basically, as long as I've been paying attention to Nebraska basketball, it's not just a a Fred Hoiberg problem, not just a Tim Miles-era problem. Nebraska basketball needs to shoot it better. Miami's kind of found that secret sauce. That's how they can get away with playing so small and playing against, you know, some of those bigger, more bruising teams like uh, Carolina's tried to be, uh, like Virginia's tried to be, and like Duke. Like, as a Duke fan, I hate playing Miami, right? They're small, they're quick, they give Duke troubles because they shoot it well. Length and athleticism are great, but they only take you so far. If you can't recover out to contest a three, you can't keep your guy in front of you. So, I would advise you Nebraska fans out there to go back and watch some Miami basketball. Uh, Maybe just their postseason highlights are going to be the easiest to find. But my guess is you'll start seeing some more of that stuff incorporated into your Nebraska basketball uh, as it moves forward. So that's a good update there on the, the NIL situation down in Miami. We'll definitely keep monitoring that. Like I said, we will get into Nebraska men's basketball in Spain in just a little bit. But we welcome in the fellas after our break, Matt and Landon, because we're going over some of the best wins, but also the most painful losses, right? The duality of man. We have to hit both sides. We can't just have a downer episode. We can't just have a, you know, happy positive episode. We, we need to be leveled out. So I asked the guys to, uh, you know, put their heads down to the books to get to studying up on some of their favorite wins for Oklahoma State and Kentucky. I did the same for Duke and Nebraska. So that's where we're going with the Corner 3 here on 93.7 The Ticket. We'll jump into that next. You're listening to the Corner 3 on 93.7 The Ticket. More college basketball analysis after this timeout. <laughs> Back to the corner three on 93.7 The Ticket. Here is your host, Austin Orman. That's right. Back here on the corner three and 93.7 The Ticket. Joined by the fellas, we got Matt and Landon back with us here on the corner three. Uh, before we get into the, the favorite games, I'm sure you guys have plenty, like I do, plenty of honorable mentions, I'm sure. We do have to jump into the Nebraska ball trip to Spain. Huskers win their first game against the Madrid All-Stars, final score of 89-84. to It was an overtime game, so Nebraska off the schneid in OT, which is always good to see. Um, but the game itself, I don't know if there's a whole lot to take away from, given how, you know, the sheer number of players that are available, which is not many. Guys are going to get their shots, going to get their touches. Um, and the result, again, with so few guys, there's not necessarily a whole lot to take away. 
But the one big takeaway is Aaron Euless very quickly became a story. He's been, you know, front and center in some social media pictures for the team on their trip to Spain, um, but didn't play today. Unsure if he was on the bench at the hotel or what exactly was going on, but no Aaron Euless for Nebraska against Spain. Uh, Sam McEwen of the Omaha World Herald um, said that uh, on the postgame with Fred Hoiberg, uh, Coach Hoiberg said Aaron Euless didn't play and won't play as Nebraska gathers evidence on a situation. That sounds ominous. Evidence and situation, don't like those words. And then uh, McEwen said he followed up and asked Hoiberg if the issue was related to something that happened in Spain, and Hoiberg hit him with the no comment. I don't like where that's headed, Landon. We'll start with you, your initial thoughts with that. Yeah, nor do I. And one of the more interesting things, I'm glad you pointed out that Nebraska men's basketball has been using um, pictures of Euless in their social media content from the trip because four days ago, they also posted um, a really nice like video package on Aaron Euless. Uh, it was, I believe, their new faces mm-hmm. series, uh, and they had a really long sit down with Euless that, you know, they published and put out there mere days ago. So whatever this is with Aaron Euless, it's got to be something that's really recent. One would have to imagine. I mean, he's in Spain. He's on the trip. um, And now this has all come up seemingly out of left field. And the other thing I'll say, too, uh, is that from at least from my experience, and I'm sure you both can say the same in in covering Fred Hoiberg and Nebraska men's basketball, is that Coach Hoiberg is usually generally a pretty intentional and direct person with the media. Uh, He doesn't, he's not really one, at least from my, you know, perspective and opinion to beat around the bush on, you know, an issue of this magnitude. Uh, He's a pretty straight shooter, uh, pretty honest, pretty candid. Um, And the fact that he was so curt with, I guess it was Sam um, McEwen from the World Herald when, you know, asked rightly so if there was any more information he could provide really doesn't seem great. Uh, And the, the final thing I'll add is that if there is a world in which Aaron Euless is not going to be on the Nebraska men's basketball team, uh, you know, it's, you know, very, very late in the offseason. And if you were to look for a potential replacement, there really isn't a ton out there in the portal. So this is just a really unfortunate set of circumstances that have all sort of culminated together. Obviously, you know, we can only hope that what's going on isn't anything too serious, hopefully, and that, you know, Aaron Euless is doing okay. We know nothing uh, other than what Fred Hoiberg said post-game about this situation. But uh, it really does seem like it could lead to an unfortunate set of circumstances. So a real bummer, uh, especially with how shorthanded Nebraska was to this trip to Spain already, that, you know, the trip now has gotten off to this sort of start. Matt, before we get your thoughts, I'll add on to that, Landon. To your point about Fred Hoiberg and how he communicates with the media, he's savvy. He says what he wants to say, what he can say, and he knows how his words are going to be taken. So he knows how people are going to perceive them. So Fred Hoiberg has to say no comment. feels like he has to say no comment. By not saying anything, he's saying a lot. So that's where I fall on it. Yeah, I think, I mean... I'm, I'm glad I was wondering at first, like, well, why did Sam only ask about what happened in, in Spain with this? But then again, when you bring up the fact that he has been 
involved on a lot of their social media stuff lately. That kind of makes you, yeah, kind of puts two and two together that, you know, maybe something happened. I, I don't like jumping to conclusions and who knows if we'll ever know the, the truth. This could all just end in like a suspension line. I think Derek Walker went through a similar thing where he got, or that might've been PEDs where he got like half a season suspension. Well, he started out this year, you know, with the personal reasons, right? Uh, Fred Hoiberg said you're yeah, going to take was, time. This would have been like 2021 or something. I thought he just had the, the mid-season transfer deal, and that's why he couldn't play. Oh, it might have been that. I'm yeah. Like, he, I don't want to yeah. yeah, Eric Walker's name here. But, uh, but yeah, no, I, I'm still kind of in the wait and see on it. Uh, it is kind of ominous. We did talk about this last time we were here two weeks ago that, you know, this was a kind of prove it trip for Aaron Euless to see what he's got. Otherwise, you know, there's going to be more, more transfers coming in the portal. I think after some of these foreign trips are done and people finish up summer school and can graduate. So there, there's going to be options. Although, I mean, Nebraska does have some depth at guard, but, uh, there's a reason they got Euless in the first place, and that's they felt there's a need there. So it's it's not the best start to the trip. And I'm really bummed that these games aren't on TV because when I see that you know, Kel Jacobson is playing both center and point guard at certain <laughs> points today, that would have been tremendous content. Absolutely, it would have. Uh, we'll get into more Nebraska basketball once their trip is done as we kind of look back who played where. Um, before we move into the you know favorite and least favorite games, I do have to say, I brought this up with some other people, and you guys as college basketball aficionados, I'm sure will have thoughts on this, but do we think this is better or worse than what happened with Leangelo Ball in UCLA in China? Oh, God. <laughs> it can't be that bad. I mean, we don't... I, I have, like, I actually do remember one time, randomly, I was at a Kentucky-Kansas game when Euless was playing for Kentucky in 16. And I think I do remember meeting his parents, Tyler Euless's parents, okay. also Aaron Euless's parents. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I can't imagine them going on CNN and arguing with uh, whoever replaced Crisco <laughs> or Chris Cuomo. But that was, <laughs> boy, that was memories. <laughs> we don't have a tweet from, uh, from Joe Biden yet. So I'd say we're probably off to a uh, more secure start in that situation than, um, the Leangelo Ball incident, which had, uh, of course, Donald Trump tweeting about that within, you know, 12 hours. So we hope we can only hope that no international incident has been has been caused. Um, I mean, he's in he's in Spain. So it's it's a real it is a real like real conundrum. And, you know, hopefully as the week goes on now, it's like the storyline to monitor. Here's hoping it's not that bad, though. The yeah, I'm hoping it's just kind of quiet about mm -hmm. on this front, like that they'll provide updates when needed and that there's no further updates, at least for the rest of the trip. And at the very least, I think America and Spain's working relationship is better than that with America and China. So we can all hang our hat on <laughs> on better geopolitics than last time. All right. We'll update, like you said, uh, more on Nebraska basketball when more information becomes available we started with Landon for Nebraska ball. So Matt, I'll turn it over to you first. Let's let's get the pain out of the way. Uh, we'll get into the wins in a little bit, but we'll start with the losses, the most painful losses for each of our teams. I'll cover Duke, Lane, and Oklahoma State, but Matt, lead us off with Kentucky. 
All right, you want my honorable mentions first yes. or just rip the Band-Aid off? Honorable mentions to lead up to ripping the Band-Aid off. Okay, I split this into two categories, regular season and tournament. Okay. So uh, I'll get the regular season ones out of the way. Those were a little less painful. Um, one of the big ones, I'd say, was twenty the 2018-19 season opening losing by 30-plus to Duke. That was – I mean, in the end, it really – was a, a lot of these regular season losses weren't consequential, but that was one where it was like just absolutely humiliating and kind of a moment where, I, you know, Kentucky fans realized we're not the cool program in college basketball anymore. Like there is a team with more NBA talent and better NBA talent than, uh, than what we have. So I, I put that on my honorable mention. Uh, there was a uh, 2010 I've got, uh, they lost, they were undefeated and lost to at South Carolina. Devin Downey went nuclear that game, and uh, that was actually John Calipari's first loss of that one. I have the aforementioned uh, 2016 loss at Kansas, uh, which was my first and only trip so far to Allen Fieldhouse. Uh, great game. Kentucky actually led for most of it, but then Bill Self pulled out that dang triangle in two and forced it to <laughs> overtime. And Wayne Selden, I think, went nuclear in that game and they lost in overtime and couple that with the other honorable mention I have, which was 2016 at Texas A&M, which they also lost in overtime, like a month later, uh, Kentucky was about had it put away. And then Isaac Humphreys, their third string center made a big play, got a rebound, drew a foul and then slammed the ball, got called for a technical. Uh, Yep. Uh, A&M used the free throws to kind of claw back. And then I believe in overtime, they won on a tip dunk at the buzzer. And in the end, they ended up sharing the SEC title. But those two losses in 2016 led to Kentucky getting a five seed in the NCAA tournament and having to play Indiana in the second round. And with a team that had, you know, Tyler Eulis and Jamal Murray, it would have been nice to see that team make a, a deeper run. So those are my honor. And then for the NCAA tournament, my honorable mentions run through them. Uh, 2021 St. Peter's, that, I mean, it's just depressing to to lose on the first day of the tournament. And mm-hmm. then it's like, well, I don't get to watch my team the rest of the tournament. That that sucked. Uh, you guys were there. <laughs> I was talking through it with you. <laughs> that was, that, those were dark days. Um, 2017 North Carolina, the Luke May shot. That, just a Good game, intense game. It was just miserable. I I really wish I could have seen, you know, Fox, Bam, and Monk uh, make a Final Four run. That team definitely was deserving. Mm-hmm. Uh, 2010 West Virginia, just a clunker of an Elite Eight game uh, for John Wall and DeMarcus Cousins for the, them to go out. That sucked. Um, and then a couple Tubby Smith ones from a child. Uh, 2004 UAB in the second round when Mike Anderson was the coach. That's right. Uh, Yep, they were the number one overall seed in the country. And, yeah, they just missed a bunch of putbacks at the buzzer, uh, got bounced. And that was kind of the first, you know, crack in the foundation for Tubby Smith at Kentucky. And then uh, UAB winning. I think that ended up – Georgia Tech ended up making the Final Four because Mm -hmm. of that, if I remember Mm -hmm. correctly. Um, And then 2005 Michigan State in the Elite Eight, double overtime classic, Patrick Sparks – one of my childhood favorites, uh, hit a three that hit like every part of the rim and rolled in to force overtime. And then he high five Billy Packer at the scorer's table. 
truly electric. They lose in double overtime. And then, uh, I don't know, it would have been fun to go to the Final Four again. Uh, Tubby hadn't been since 98. And then they would have played North Carolina, who ended up winning it all. And, you know, maybe they could have won that one. They were a good team. They had, you know, Kalena Azabuki, Rajan Rondo, Chuck Hayes. They had a good team that year, so that was uh, a bummer. But without a question, the the one that takes the cake is the 2015 Final Four loss to Wisconsin. So mm-hmm. I, I think that was pretty predictable. Uh, just because even in the moments, it would have been fun to at least get to that that last game, like to get that 40th game, even if and especially because like all year, I mean, there, it was Wisconsin was really good, but. I mean, they were on the fringe of dropping to a two seed by the end of the year. There's a reason that they were that fourth one seed playing Kentucky. Uh, it would have been fun to have Duke, Kentucky, with a 40-0 season on the line. Especially, they would have matched up pretty well. You know, Tyus Jones versus the Harrison Twins. Uh, Julia Okafor versus Carl Anthony Towns and Willie Cauley-Stein. Uh, Justice Winslow versus Trey Lyles. Things like that. So, yeah, that was uh, – yeah, that's a game that I still won't watch. It just – it was painful. That's twice in your list that we were robbed of classic Duke-Kentucky games. Yep. Because that 2010, 2010 uh, would have been, because Duke ends up beating West Virginia uh, and then Baylor. But John Wall and DeMarcus yeah. Cousins versus John Shire and Brian Zubek, I guess, would have been the DeMarcus Cousins answer. But and, Yeah, that would have been electric. And both games would have been in Indianapolis, so... Mm-hmm. Would have been great crowds, and also just that Duke West Virginia game stunk. It was like it's at a least Duke Wisconsin was a good championship game, but that Duke West Virginia game was never close. No, it was not. The Duke Baylor game was much closer than the Duke West Virginia game. Yeah. So, all right. Well, your pain's out of the way. Sit back, relax, listen to ours. Landon, the Oklahoma State Band Aid comes off. What you got? Yeah, uh, I, I guess thankfully I don't have as many NCAA tournament um, heartbreaks to share. Uh, but I would say, uh, just to, to start my list, um, the 68-55 loss to Oregon on uh, March 21st, 2013, which would have been Marcus Smart's freshman year mm-hmm. uh, in the NCAA tournament when Oklahoma State entered as a 5, uh, lost to a 12-seed Oregon coached by Dana Altman. Uh, that one of that era really hurt the most. Um just stunk. That team was really, really good. I deserved yeah. a lot better. Big that time. was smart for 10 day. LeBron, a sophomore year, LeBron Nash after a really good freshman year. Uh, Markel Brown, of course, and Michael Cobbins. That group wasn't deep, but they really, really deserved a tournament run. At least one while Marcus Smart was there. Uh, the second year he was at Oklahoma State, things had kind of sort of sputtered out a little bit uh, and they went out to Gonzaga. But of, you know, the 2010 2010s era tournament losses that one definitely stung um I've got a couple other honorable mentions from 2014, uh, both of which were losses to Iowa State. Uh, <laughs> Oklahoma State was swept by Iowa State um, in in 2014. Uh, both games w- were overtime losses, uh, and both games were aided by Naslong heartbreaks, uh, the first of which was a 98-97 loss in Stillwater on February 4th. I remember this one really vividly. Uh, Naslong hit a game-tying three with seconds left in double overtime to send it to a third overtime uh and these oklahoma state teams uh in you know the marcus smart era were not deep they played like six guys tops uh and they just sort of ran out of steam in triple ot lost 98 97 they had a shot lebron nash had a shot like a oh, i remember that game from the corner uh at the end of, 
at the end of triple OT. They got the ball back down one, couldn't hit it. Uh, and then the second game of the season series in Ames, <laughs> Oklahoma State was also uh, sunk in part by Nas Long. And I, I forgot just how brutal this one was. Uh, but Oklahoma State was up 71-68 in Hilton with five seconds left. Phil Forte, who, you know, one of the great free throw shooters, I would probably say in the history of recent college basketball Mm -hmm. dude was like a 90% free throw shooter. Uh, He had made the first put Oklahoma state up three. All he needed to do was make the second one, make it a four point game with five seconds left would end it, but he missed Uh, the ball ended up in Deandre Kane's hands and he pushed it forward to Naz long who just took a dribble inside and made like a 30 footer as time expired to tie the game to send it to OT um, and then Oklahoma State ended up losing. Um, so those um, from the 2010s era were bad. And then just a more recent one, Oklahoma State losing at KU on New Year's Eve this just this past oh, year. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Honestly, that was probably the difference between Oklahoma State making and not making the NCAA tournament. Looking back on it, especially with OSU having been the last team or the first team out. Uh, OSU was up 45-30 at halftime in Allen Fieldhouse. And then... Literally, the joy from that first half was sucked out of the air instantly when KU went on a 22-5 to run um, to take the lead back. OSU went back and forth but ended up losing. The game stunk but didn't really hurt me as badly at the time. But, man, looking back on it, if Oklahoma State would have been able to close that game out, they probably would have made the NCAA tournament this last year. And there, um, were, there were some tough calls at the end of that game, too, I remember. Yeah, that did not go Oklahoma State's way. Classic Allen Fieldhouse nonsense at the end for sure, especially on Oklahoma State's last possession. Um, but the number one for me, um, this probably is a little bit predictable too, but it's the 80 to 70 loss to Oregon State in the second round of the NCAA tournament, sure. uh, the round of 32 uh, in 2021. This, um, that was probably, at least from my time as a cognizant, aware Oklahoma State men's basketball team, the most talented team I have ever watched. Yes. Uh, Cade Cunningham is a once every couple of decades, probably type of guy. The impact he had in his first and only season in college was insane. He took over games. He scored 30, 40 points semi-regularly and brought Oklahoma State to heights that had previously been unseen for years. Even with Marcus Smart, um, they weren't winning as many games as they did with Cade. They made the final of the Big 12 tournament for crying out loud, which never ever happens to Oklahoma State in a conference with, you know, KU, Baylor, Iowa State, all these, you know, traditionally great programs, at least this, you know, millennium. Uh, So they had like such a great year. And the thing that really, really sucked is how the Midwest region broke for OSU because Mm -hmm. their pairing, it was OSU entered, by the way, underseeded as a four seed, um, playing a pesky Liberty team who they beat. And then in the 5-12, Oregon State, who had been not even close to NCAA tournament consideration and had ran through the Pac-12 tournament somehow, they then beat Tennessee. So you have that matchup with Oregon State. And the Saturday before the OSU Oregon State was a Sunday night, that Saturday, Loyola Chicago upsets one seed Illinois with Iota Sumo and Kofi Coburn, who pretty much everyone had as a lock to at least make the lead eight against uh, Houston for the bottom of that region, if not make the final four further. So that's just like this huge break you get. And you're like, wow, okay. Like if Oklahoma state can win against Oregon state 
you have this dream scenario against Loyola Chicago in this path to the Elite Eight, but it did not happen. OSU came out horribly flat. They were down 15 points at halftime and never really in it at all. They made a late push, sort of, but that team, like the group of guys, they had all deserved better. And the funny thing is, looking back, a lot of those guys are still in college uh, today, uh, (laughs) except for like, Aid Cunningham and Farron Flavors, but like the Boone Twins are still there. I believe Matthew Alexander Moncrief is still in college. Like it's just funny, like from that team, felt like a while ago, but a lot of those guys are still in college. But that one hurt the most. It was really depressing. I thought that was going to be the final. Finally, Oklahoma State makes this deep tournament run, but I was crushed after that. I was really, really upset. Yeah, we went through that one together too. I remember. Yeah, mm-hmm. man, that that and OSU. OSU was a big favorite in that game too. Oh, and that's God. a. That's another what if. Like, I kind of wish that they would have swapped Creighton and Oklahoma State in those brackets because, you know, then Oklahoma State would have had, you know, tough challenges against uh, UCSB and Ohio. But I would have loved to see uh, Kate Cunningham versus Jalen Suggs in the Sweet 16. Yeah. That that would have That's a what if. That team and Kate Cunningham deserved a. Yeah. Proper tournament run to at least the Sweet 16. And I remember that game was on like a Sunday night. It was was the last game of the day, and it was just – there was no energy to that game. No, and from the jump, from the jump, you could get the sense that OSU was toast, which is why the late push to get it within like two or three or whatever they did late just made it hurt even worse. Yeah. All right, that's two Band-Aids off. We got two more to go. I'll give the Duke ones uh, first so we can discuss the Nebraska ones a little bit. Again, in the, the two categories, we have the the category that I went to, which I'll put it the most painful, even though it's definitely not like the most painful Duke loss, and then the ones I, I wasn't at, which is how I broke it up. You have Mercer and Lehigh. Yeah, whatever. Crap happens. Y- you move on. The, the non-Tarhole division of most painful loss for me is... 2019 against Michigan State in the Elite Eight. That team was going to win a national championship because all you had to do was beat Texas Tech, who was good, salty, but not what they would be, you know, the next year, the couple years after that. Good, beatable. You have Virginia and Auburn in a game that I know you know, Matt. We've heard stories from that one. Uh, Duke had, had handled Virginia um, Auburn didn't really scare me. They I think beat they beat Auburn too. Yeah, they beat all three of those teams. They did. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah, they beat Texas Tech in in the Garden. Um, before that, they beat uh, Auburn in uh, Maui before falling to Gonzaga for their first loss at Maui ever. So the path was there, but Greg Ward or Nick Ward happened, and Xavier yeah. Tillman happened, and it denied RJ Cam and most importantly Zion a championship. So. That's the non-Tarhole division. The entire 2021 season <laughs> is, is up there. Um, Kay's final home game, losing to them. And I bear full responsibility for the loss in the final four. The Duke was up at half. I get back to my apartment after not watching or listening to a second of it. I turn the game on and things go south. So I wear that one completely. I don't think there's any topping losing to Carolina as a you know with a first year head coach in your legendary coach's final year. There's no topping that, but the one that I would put higher than that if I had to would be the 2017 Elite Eight game against Kansas. Um, I was at that game, the only Duke game I've ever been to up in Omaha. 
had to survive a nail-biter against Syracuse, which was gross. I hated every second watching that game on TV because I was waiting for Syracuse to do something stupid and leave it to Roger Ayers to do something stupid instead. So Malik Newman, I hope that you sprain your ankle and recover in a week. LeGerald Vick, you annoy me. But that 2017 (laughs) Kansas team features again, and this is the most painful Nebraska loss I came up with, the game against Kansas at PBA. I went to the that game. Was my, that was on my list. That was number one. Okay. I, it was my honorable mention. Okay. I'll set the stage for you and me, Landon, before you take over, Matt. But I had been to the game down at the Fog the year before, Kansas handled business, whatever. That 2017 game, the 2017-18 team, if they beat Kansas, that's a tournament team. There is no keeping them out of it. But it's back and forth. Kansas leads pretty much wire to wire but never by more than like six, seven points. Nebraska kept it close against a really talented Kansas team. I mean, Yudoka Azabuki did his thing, was an absolute beast inside, which wasn't necessarily surprising. Um, You had Devontae Graham on that team. Marcus Garrett uh, wasn't what he would be in a couple years. But the guy I was worried about all game long, Svi Mikhailov. Kansas takes a timeout with like 30 seconds to go. I'm up there in the KRNU broadcast booth, and I said, Azabuki's been on a heater. Graham's their guy. But this play is a three for Mikhailuk. That is what they're drawing up. Seven seconds later, bada bing, bada boom, bada bang, speed Mikhailuk three. Still 23 seconds left. Nebraska doesn't get anything to fall. The team misses the NCAA tournament during the NIT. Brutal. Would have been the signature win of the Tim Miles era. Yeah, that was even before I started Nebraska men's basketball that closely, but it was on at a friend's house. And as a Kansas basketball hater, a reputation that I maintained all through grade school (laughs) and high school, I watched the entirety of that game. And I was so crushed when Svi hit that shot. Um, Oklahoma State went on to sweep Kansas. uh, I remember. Vengeance. uh, Which we'll talk about in a second. But man, that... That KU team was really, really talented. I mean, they weren't also very deep, but the high-end guys there, uh, because remember later on that year, uh, Silvio D'Souza ended up joining the fold uh, rather mm-hmm. controversially. <laughs> uh, yeah, that Nebraska team was literally a signature win away. I mean, now looking back on it from, it's a similar position where I talked about with Oklahoma State a little bit ago. It's like you get that one win, and you know, with Nebraska under Tim Miles, they really, really lacked that one big time opportunity and man beating a a team with that pedigree at PBA. I mean, who knows what would have happened if like, that's a real serious Nebraska basketball. What if, like what if Nebraska wins that game and makes the tournament might be a lot of things that are different with the state of the program now. So that really is like a very significant and pivotal moment. I think in the last like decade or so ish history of Nebraska basketball. All right, Matt, give us your number one, rip the bandaid off. We got other games got positive to get to. I yeah, I, I went right to the end of the stem of that season and said Michigan 2018 in the Big mm. Ten tournament at the Garden. They just, to lay an egg in that game, were honestly just winning that one, and they're in. Like, that's all they had to do. And they would have had two weeks to rest and get healthy. I could have covered the team in the tournament. That would have been <laughs> fun. I was looking, I remember I was looking at all the different locations that the tournament was at that year. I was like, ooh, Boise, that would be fun. Um, so, yeah, that that is the one I said. Um couple other ones that I had for honorable mention, though. 2018 Creighton that year. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago. Great game. Um, 2019 Maryland uh, at home when uh, Bruno Fernando kind of emasculated Nebraska and Tim Miles mm-hmm. cried in the postgame. They just played terrible that game. 
2019, also Big Ten tournament, losing to Wisconsin in the yeah. quarterfinals. It would have been so cool for them to have, you know, beaten another NCAA tournament team and then get to play on CBS in the quarterfinals against Michigan State. That would have been fun, but we were we were robbed of that. So those are my honorable mentions. All right, Landon, let's apply some uh, some healing ointment to the wound now. The Band-Aid's <laughs> off. You alluded to it. Oklahoma State and Kansas maybe feature on your list for the best, most satisfying wins. Absolutely. I will burn through honorable mentions quickly, uh, first of which I just mentioned a little bit ago, Oklahoma State over Liberty in the 2021 NCAA tournament. That snapped a nine-year drought um, from having won an NCAA tournament game. Um Another one that I kind of barely remember was the triple overtime win over Texas in 2007. That's on my list. Uh, That was a great game. I don't remember a ton of it. I wish I remembered more. I remember all of it. That was your all time. One of my all time favorite regular season college basketball games. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I would recommend, you know, anybody out there listening, go look up highlights from it. It was on YouTube college basketball game it is on youtube uh it was that was freshman year kevin durant who was incredible at texas uh dj augustine was also on that texas team uh my favorite highlight that's burned in my brain is byron eaton uh, yep. making behind the back uh not behind the back but like over the shoulder three-pointer from like 40 feet from the basket mm-hmm. is the shot at clock the shot clock buzzer yep um, that was a fantastic shot. Uh, and that was, it's probably honestly one of the more like iconic wins in Oklahoma state program history, at least since 2004. So that was a really good one. Um, a couple other quick ones, uh, the 2018 win at Allen Fieldhouse against Kansas was really cool. Uh, that was game one of the season sweep uh, in which they eventually swept Kansas, but then didn't make the NCAA tournament, you know, for reasons. Uh, they beat number one Baylor on, in 2022. That's when I just felt I should include because that's the only time they've done that in program history. Uh, and then the last one before I get to the good one is the 79-72 win over Mizzou uh, in January 2012 um a game famous for markel brown throwing down two of the best in-game dunks i've ever seen in my entire life receiving technical fouls after both and then being ejected uh john higgins <laughs> was actually an official in that game uh but oklahoma oh, state ended up winning, uh beating number two mizzou at home which was awesome uh lebron nash had 27 he was great in that game and that I was the not about that game that was the Mizzou team that ended up losing to Norfolk State as a 15 seed in the NCAA tournament. I'm so, tweeting the Markel uh, Brown dunks now, just so you know. <laughs> yeah, they they both were insane. One was on the first, literally the first points of the game was him just throwing down over a guy that was set to take a charge. And the second one was a great oop uh, from Keaton Page. And yeah, after both, he uh, received a technical foul. They were incredible in-game dunks, though. And that was a really great game for a young me, too. But the one that gave me the most bragging rights as a middle schooler in growing up in suburban Kansas, uh, Oklahoma State 85, number two, Kansas 80, February 2nd, 2013, otherwise known as the Marcus Smart backflip game uh, for him doing a backflip on, you know, the center logo at Kansas after the victory. Uh, This game snapped an 18-game KU winning streak, a 33-game home winning streak, uh, and as I previously mentioned, gave middle school me the perfect amount of bragging rights. Um... Yeah, uh, Marcus Smart was great all game. He had 25 points. That was kind of his, like, coming out party, even though, you know, I'd been watching him all year and he'd been great. Um, but this really sort of cemented it on a national stage. Of course, as I as I said, he did the, the famous backflip at midcourt after um, – 
after the victory, after the final buzzer sounded, OSU had a 14-point first-half lead, let it slip away. It's kind of a theme at Allen Fieldhouse, but they were able to reclaim it. They went on a late run. Um, they pushed the lead up to eight or nine points and held on from there. Uh, and then, you know, OSU went on to lose to Oregon in the first round of the NCAA tournament. But that win um, was an awesome one. It's cemented in my brain as one of my favorites. Uh, it had, I, I don't have the stat, but it, I'm sure it was the first time OSU had won at Allen Fieldhouse in quite some time. It was a great game. Made me very happy. Made young me very happy. So that would be my number one for sure. Yeah, you unlocked some core memories of my uh, my childhood there with those. I'd also like to add, I mean, you might have been a little young for Landon, but one of my first Oklahoma State memories was the St. Joe's win in 2004. Yeah. I think it was the Elite Eight. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And that was very early in my college basketball watching days. And 2004 St. Joe's and 2005 Illinois were pretty much like the teams I revered, like as like these teams are unbeatable. No one can beat either yeah. of these teams. So for that, I, I I remember that was an awesome win to watch. Yeah. And one of those like first, like March Madness is the best. Yeah. Moments. A bit too, a bit too, a bit too long ago for me. Yeah. I have seen plenty of highlights from it. So I got to throw that one in there. For sure. <laughs> All right, Matt, fly through the honorable mentions. Give us the, the healing ointment for Kentucky. All right. Honorable mentions, uh, regular season. I've got Jody Meeks scoring 54 points at Tennessee. Woo. Just went absolutely nuclear on super Tuesday, uh, 2010 John Wall, DeMarcus cousins were back. They beat North Carolina who ended up being missing the tournament that year, but that was, you know, it was a nationally televised game on CBS. Uh, Rupp arena was rocking. That was like the Kentucky's cool again moment. Mm-hmm. Um, also 2010, there was John Wall versus Kemba Walker, uh, one year before Kemba became Kemba uh, at the garden. Great game. John Wall. That was kind of his coming out party. It was right after the Carolina win. Uh, that was a good one. Uh, two games against Mississippi state 2010. That year was so fun. Uh, first game they're playing. This was when uh, Mississippi state was rolling. They had Jarvis Bernardo uh, who blocked every shot in the history of college basketball from 2007 to 2010. Uh First game, they're down in Mississippi. They're down in Starkville. Students get DeMarcus Cousins' phone number, blow up his phone the entire night before. Uh, has, like, the game of his Kentucky career. Throws down a big dunk and then does a call me to the students section. They end up winning that in overtime. And then they played again in the SEC Tournament Championship that year. And DeMarcus Cousins hit a put back at the buzzer to force overtime. I remember I was standing on my couch and I jumped up and nearly concussed myself. Hitting my head <laughs> on Just an awesome game. Uh, other games talked about it earlier, 2015 UCLA, they were up 41, seven at the half. Uh, 2017 Malik Monk goes nuclear and does I think 47 points on North Carolina mm-hmm. in Vegas. Just one of the all time great regular season games hit a game winner with like 20 seconds left. I think. Uh, the blowout at Kansas in 2021 always will hold a special place in my heart. They just dominated Kansas from start to finish, even though both teams went on to have very different marches. That's a memorable one. Um, and then also they lost this game, but it was just a good memory. Uh, Seton Hall in 2019 played at the garden. Oh yeah. Uh, Nebraska beat Creighton. Uh, Kelvin Johnson hit a half court shot to force overtime uh, Miles Powell was awesome in that game. He was hitting turnaround threes. How come that and guy Gus wasn't a lottery pick? Well, yeah. <laughs> um, 
And then my honorable mention NCAA tournament wins. I've got Brandon Knight hitting the game winner to beat number one seed Ohio State in 2011. Mm. Also beating UNC in the lead eight that year to go to the final four. Uh, beating Louisville in the 2012 final four. That was just kind of a relief. Um, pretty much all of the 2014 uh NCAA tournament run, the Aaron Harrison shots, especially the Wisconsin one. That was my high school bragging moment game. Uh, beating Indiana, getting revenge on them in 2012. I was wondering and if the Watford game was going to show up on your losses. No, because they got revenge. That was just okay. kind of annoying. Okay. And it was such a good game, too. But they, I mean, they put up 102 points on them. They beat them 102 to 90 in the Georgia Dome in the Sweet 16 to get revenge on them. They led like start to finish that game. Uh, And then 2017 shutting up LeVar ball and De'Aaron Fox dropping 31 on Lonzo in the sweet 16 against UCLA. That was a good one, but I kind of have to put the 2012 title win over Kansas as my, you know, favorite because that's Mm -hmm. the only title they've had in my conscious lifetime. So, I mean that one though, I, it wasn't the best game. Kentucky got out to a big lead and then, kind of just held on for dear life. And it was, you know, Calipari versus Bill Self round two. They, you know, all the flashbacks of the Memphis KU 2008 game. So it was like Kansas was making a little bit of run and of a run in the second half. And they got within like six near the end. So there was a lot of anxiety of, oh, are they going to miss free throws and go through this again? Like, can Cal finally get the big one off his back? But I mean, that was still, it's, it's awesome to win a national championship. So I, I got to put that one number one. Absolutely. We got to take one quick break. We'll be back in just about a minute to wrap up the Corner 3 next. You're listening to the Corner 3 on 93.7 The Ticket. More college basketball analysis after this timeout. Back to the Corner 3 on 93.7 The Ticket. Here is your host, Austin Orman. That's right. We're back here on the corner three. We'll add Matt back whenever he gets back. Uh, but for now, it's Landon and I taking you through the last segment here on the corner three. Um, I'll start with the the Duke wins. Oh, there's Matt just in time. Yeah, quick break. We're back. Um, okay, so the Duke wins. Honorable mentions, two of them from 2017 uh, against North Carolina. Uh, the game at the Dean Dome uh, to end the regular season or at the end of the regular season, Duke's down to like six and a half guys. Matt Jones goes down in that game. Uh, they still find a way to win it. Derek Thornton blocks a shot at the end of the game when Carolina decides not to call timeout. Um, 2017 Tar Heels in the ACC tournament. Uh, Duke gets down like 10, 13 points, comes storming back in the second half. I remember watching that game. Kennard hit a big shot. Uh, Frank Jackson hit a, a really knifing layup in a three, and Tatum had 24. But most famous for the uh, Grayson Allen to Harry Giles half court from basically alley-oop. Uh, that that play lives rent free in my head. Um, the twenty uh, that was an awesome game. It was so good. The twenty fifteen game uh, at Virginia on the road. Uh, Duke was number four. Virginia was number two. Duke got out to a hot start. Virginia was up six with like two minutes to go. Uh, Duke ends up winning that game by seven. Quinn Cook hits the go ahead three, um, and Tyus Jones hits the dagger to make it sixty nine sixty two. Right over London Perantes of all players. The way he drops his head knowing the game's over just fills me with joy. Um, do you have to throw the 2015 Natty against uh, Wisconsin in there? I didn't watch it, but that game happened 
um, the same night I hit my one walk-off in high school. So I, I hop in my car, I get Burger King chicken fries, and I listen to Duke put the finishing touches on the Badgers. Uh, but the best win that I remember for Duke, uh, one I watched wire to wire. I remember sitting on the piano bench in my parents' house to watch this final shot. Austin Rivers taking down North Carolina uh, gets the switch on Tyler Zeller, who just minutes before had tipped the ball into his own basket, who just seconds before had missed a free throw to give Austin Rivers a chance for the the win, not just the tie. Dickie V's call, iconic. Austin Rivers so cold, the dog pile. Oh, chills every time thinking about it. Iconic. Absolutely. Um, Then the Nebraska wins more than I would have thought, Unfortunately, it didn't end up meaning a lot in the you know the long term. The entire run at the end of 2022 where you beat Penn State, Ohio State, and Wisconsin all in a row. I say Wisconsin because they ruined Brad Davis and Senior Day, but I'm just petty. So I'd pick that one from that run. Uh, 2018 Creighton catharsis after the year before, after they go 1-3-1 uh, and beat Nebraska and Omaha. The best win that I was at, I'll save Um, because that's my number one. But then three wins from last year. Beating Creighton, so satisfying. No top 10 team, best team ever. But their best player in that game was Francisco Farabello, like LOL. So getting that win was great. Uh, Winning at Rutgers, I thought was a kind of, you know, resolving moment for that team, the way they went in and won it. And then the season finale on the road at Iowa. Look at the stats. Nebraska had no business (laughs) winning that game at all but they found a way to do it. But it's the 2019 game against Iowa. Uh, that's my my favorite Nebraska win of recent memory. Uh, guys in foul trouble. You have Amir Harris, of all people, hitting the game winner with like 11 seconds to go. And then you get a Thor God of Thunder call from uh, KP as he blocks Jordan Bohannon's shot from about 32 feet away. Nebraska had to make a, a serious comeback in that game. They had to hit their threes late. Iowa had to miss a few free throws. Glenn Watson came up big. JPJ had some moments. But it's the Thor and Amir game is what it is. So that's the number one Nebraska win that I can remember for me. I had that as my number one as well. Because I, especially that game, it was just iconic in that it, it showed that that team actually wasn't going to quit. I mean, they'd lost, you know, four in a row and were getting blown out. And it looked like they had quit at times, but that kind of set the stage for their big 10 tournament run the following week and was also just an awesome game. And it was cool to see the players, you know, even as they started dropping like flies with injuries to see them fight for Tim miles there at the end. That was, that was an awesome game and incredible atmosphere, even though Nebraska was struggling. Yeah, those were good. I would say, yeah, I kind of wanted to pick one that I covered because I didn't really Mm -hmm. cover very many Nebraska men's basketball wins. So, um, (laughs) The first, <laughs> I mean, you know, I'm just being bad, but true. Uh, but the 29th, no, December 2019 went over Purdue was really cool. Um, that was a Purdue team that had uh, Travion Williams and Haas he, smacked his head. Yeah, it yeah, that, it was harm or harms. Yeah, yeah, yeah harm smacked his head. Yeah, yeah, that was bad. Yeah. That Purdue team was really good. I can't recall whether or not they were ranked uh, at that point when they played. And Mac triple double. They were six and three. Uh, but yeah, that was most memorable. And uh, yeah, beating Purdue, no easy beat. So that was a fun one. 
That's awesome. Gentlemen, good stuff. Thanks, as always, for jumping on. Uh, we do have to get to Vershawn Jackson for the heart of a Husker. So next week, we'll get into the Nebraska men's basketball-related uh, news uh, with Matt Abdel-Massey being hired uh, as an, a general manager at St. John. So we'll get into what exactly it is that that means uh, and kind of recap the Nebraska men's basketball trip to Spain. I think that'll be our agenda for next week and plenty more to come. We'll laugh at Will Wade in the near future with McNeese State's non-con schedule. There's lots to get to, so you won't want to miss anything here on the Corner 3. For Matt and Landon, I am Austin, turning it over to the captain for Sean Jackson next with Heart of a Husker. You're listening to Ticket Weeknights on 93.7 The Ticket. Thank you.